Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. I began yesterday's program by citing a story that was written by a teenage author, a young man by the name of Mitchell Taylor, where he talked about as a young boy of only five years old, he accidentally scratched and dented the hood of a Ferrari that was owned by apparently an acquaintance of his father's and how he was scared to death having to pay to have this dent and scratch repaired. The father took his money from Mitchell, included a blank check with it, and handed it to the owner of the Ferrari wanting to pay for the damages, and the owner of the Ferrari refused to receive it. And young Taylor took this as a picture of God's grace. We sin, and yet the owner, or in this case it would be Jesus would pay for that through his own actions, which of course is what we believe as Christians, that Jesus paid for our sins, dying on the cross for us. But the question I asked in yesterday's show is, where did young Mitchell get this idea? Because that certainly is not a consistent view among many Latter-day Saint leaders. And, And we are demonstrating that by going through a talk that was given at General Conference in April of 2022 a talk given by a 70 by the name of Kevin S. Hamilton titled, Then Will I Make Weak Things Become Strong? Now, as we go through this talk, you're going to see that his understanding, Mr. Hamilton's understanding of what's necessary to be done in order to gain exaltation certainly doesn't sound like the young Mitchell Taylor's understanding. Now, I admitted in yesterday's show I did not read all of Mitchell Taylor's book, the title being Perfect in Christ, I only read the sample that was on Amazon. And I will say I was pretty impressed with the story of the red Ferrari because I think it does closely resemble the doctrine of grace that we find in the New Testament. Now, what he believes regarding other things, I do not know and I don't claim to know at this point. But we're going on in this talk given by Kevin S. Hamilton, and we're now under the subheading of God's conditions. God's conditions. Now, you're probably seeing a red flag starting to be raised at that point, and certainly there is a red flag in what he says under this subheading. Hamilton said, computer software developers use conditional statements to tell computers what to do. These are sometimes referred to as if-then statements, as in, if X is true, then do Y. The Lord also operates through conditions. Conditions of faith, conditions of righteousness, conditions of repentance. There are many examples of conditional statements from God, such as, If you keep my commandments and endure to the end, then you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. And that's from Doctrine and Covenants, section 14, verse 7. Okay, if you keep my commandments and endure to the end, then, and he has the word then in italics and in brackets, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. Now, we know that eternal life is synonymous with Godhood in the vernacular of the Latter-day Saint. Eternal life is something that must be gained. 
even though it's a free gift that's offered, you must work for that gift. You work for that gift by, as he states in citing this verse, by keeping all the commandments. Now, the word all is not in that passage, but that's how it's been understood when a lot of Latter-day Saints use that in their sermons or in their talks. It's always understood to mean all the commandments. Do we think for a minute, Eric, that when Kevin S. Hamilton cites Doctrine and Covenants 14.7, that he's really meaning when it says, if you keep my commandments, that means only some of God's commandments. No, not at all. Every time they cite these kind of passages, it's always understood to be all of the commandments. You ask any Latter-day Saint, how often must you keep all the commandments? They will say, all of the time. So here we have an example from DNC 14.7 that you must keep the commandments if you hope to receive eternal life or exaltation slash godhood as it's understood by Latter-day Saints. And then he uses Moroni 10.4 and says, or if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, then he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, when I got to this portion of his talk, Eric, I was a little bit disappointed. He gets us into Moroni chapter 10, but he seems to ignore one of the greatest if-then propositions in Moroni chapter 10, and that is verse 32. I don't know why he overlooks this. It was a good opportunity to bring it up to make the point he's trying to make here. But what does Moroni 10.32 say when it comes to an if-then proposition? The third to last verse in the Book of Mormon says, Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ, and if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. It says, if, what comes after that if? Ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness. So if you deny yourselves of all ungodliness, then, then what do you get? You get this grace. Now, this cannot be talking about the grace that is the enabling power that a lot of Latter-day Saints talk about. This has to be the grace that actually forgives you of your sins in the context of Mormonism. So the reason why I say that is because the grace that enables you to keep all those things, you really don't have to do much of anything to get that. You've, you've got it just by believing in the concept of Mormonism, we would think. But then you must do something. Hamilton, for some reason, left that out. And I thought, that's too bad. He missed a great opportunity. And it's not as if a lot of Latter-day Saints don't cite Moroni 10.32. Many of them do. Hamilton goes on and says this, Even God's love, although infinite and perfect, is also subject to conditions. For example, and then he cites John 15.10, If ye keep my commandments, then ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Well, let's stop there, because I think what Mr. Hamilton is doing here is taking this verse certainly out of context. This is talking about an individual who has faith in Christ. Now, if you have faith in Christ, you become a new creature in Christ. In other words, your desires will change, and you will want to keep the commandments. Will you do it perfectly? No, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says that we will keep all the commandments 
perfectly, even though that seems to be a requirement that has been given in Mormon scripture and even through the lips of Mormon leaders. If we keep these commandments, we abide in the Father's love. Now, let's be careful here, because it says also, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is Jesus speaking here. We know that Jesus is in perfect harmony with the mind and will of the Father. He never comes short of that. We always tend to come short of that. So if Hamilton is trying to imply that we are to keep the commandments like Jesus keeps the commandments, if you're saying that that is a requirement for justification, we've got problems. See, I would have no problem looking at this passage as speaking of our sanctification. Certainly, we want to keep the commandments as a result of already being justified. But it seems to me, from what Mr. Hamilton is trying to get across by his mere citing of Doctrine and Covenants 14.7, this is something you must do in order to get the exaltation that the Latter-day Saint is hoping to receive after judgment. You're exactly right. And in the context of John 15 that Jesus is speaking about the vine and the branches, It's talking about the sanctification process. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking about what you're supposed to do as a Christian. When you have eternal life, when you have the Holy Spirit, fruit is supposed to be the result. That's why we could echo the words of J.C. Ryle, and I'm paraphrasing, that if you claim to have justification, you need to show it by your sanctification. If you can't show it by your sanctification, then I'm going to question your claim that you are justified. But then he goes on to cite D. Todd Christofferson. He says, Elder D. Todd Christofferson further expounded on this gospel truth when he taught, quote, Some are wont to say, the Savior loves me just as I am, and that is certainly true, but he cannot take any of us into his kingdom just as we are, for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. Moses 6.57, our sins must first be resolved, end quote. I think what Hamilton does here is he really exposes a huge error in Mormonism, because when he says, the Savior loves me just as I am, and that is certainly true, but he cannot take any of us into his kingdom just as we are, well, how are we after we are justified? Our sins have been taken care of, have they not? That's why we can have the assurance that we are forgiven, because through Christ's sacrifice, our sins have been paid for in full. There's nothing more that we could possibly do in order to pay any more on that debt. It's been paid completely. But when he says, but he cannot take any of us into his kingdom just as we are, sounds to me like he's admitting that Latter-day Saints still have something left to do in their lives if they're hoping to get the main ingredient that will get them their exaltation, then that is the forgiveness of their sins. When he says, for no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence, our sin must first be resolved. Well, we would totally agree with that. They are not resolved by the sacrifice of Christ, though they would say, well, that's part of it, and that certainly is necessary. It's resolved by them personally improving their life through this enabling power called grace, which provides the means for them to keep all of the commandments and to be able to repent of all their sins. Now, this sounds very similar to Alma 1137. And this is what it says. It says, no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, how can you be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? 
Therefore, ye cannot be saved in your sins. And D&C 131 says, For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And we also have another continuing thought on that very same theme, and it's on page 67 of the manual, Gospel Fundamentals, in chapter 14, titled Repentance. And this is what it says. Our Father in heaven does not sin, and he does not allow people who sin to live with him. To live with him, we must repent of our sins. To repent means to feel sorry for our sins and stop doing them. This same thought goes on on page 67. When we believe in him and follow him, he changes our hearts so that we do not even want to sin, but want only to do good. If we do not want to suffer for our sins, we must believe in Jesus. Those who truly believe in Jesus repent of their sins. Now, I would agree that those who believe in Jesus are going to want to repent of their sins. But again, we have a different definition of what repentance is. This makes it seem very clear that repentance of sins means to feel sorry for your sins that leads to stop doing them. Well, how long do you stop doing them? Well, it's assumed that you stop doing them for the rest of your life. Well, what Latter-day Saint is doing that? Certainly, we would have a doctrine of repentance that is supposed to convict us of our shortcomings, get back on track, but never is it implied that this will be a 100% success rate during our lifetimes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.